Amen. Well, what a joy it is to be gathered together again. It's a joy and a privilege to open the Lord's Word with you all today, especially on this special day when we want to um, recognize and, and honor the mothers among us and the, and the mothers in our lives. It's a special day, and mothers are greatly used in our lives and for the glory of God. And on that note, I want to begin just by expressing my great, great gratitude to those among us who are mothers, who act in the role of mothers, and, and even those who just exemplify biblical womanhood. We understand in our day, in, in our culture, in this age, biblical womanhood is just attacked and it's demeaned by those in the world. And so it's no small task for those among us to stand against the ways of the world, to, to take seriously those duties that the Lord gives you to care for your home, to serve your husbands, and to raise up and to teach your children and to show them Christ. And just with that in mind, it is, it is a great debt of gratitude that I have for each and every one of you as you invest your lives in the kingdom of God for his glory by teaching and showcasing Christ day in and day out. And so may the Lord honor and bless you and keep you. May he give you grace to stand firm in this day, in this age, to stand firm and to carry out the duties to which he calls you in his word. May he honor you, and may we, as a church, give honor to whom honor is due. That is our duty. So would like to wish you all a happy and blessed Mother's Day, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Now, with that in mind, would you open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament book of First Samuel? 1 Samuel, we're going to look, really, I just couldn't bring myself to put chapters 1 through 7, but it's really chapters 1 through 7 that we're going to try to get through today. Really, the meat of our time will be spent in chapters 1 and 2, and then kind of the concluding thought will drive all the way to the end of chapter 7 as we consider a mother's love and the providence of God. A mother's love and the providence of God, and thinking how to, to preach the word on Mother's Day, I wanted to give a, a special exhortation, a special encouragement to the mothers among us, but I also realized that we are not all, thankfully, mothers. And, and so there's a whole congregation that needs to be fed. We all need to come to feed upon the word. And so I was actually a number of weeks ago talking with Casey and just thinking through what to preach and landed on this story of Hannah and Samuel because there are broad implications that we can zero in both on, on motherhood but also on our lives as saints and, and followers of Christ. Um, this text will highlight for us the deep love of a godly mother but also show us the providential hand of God in Samuel's life in the story of redemption. So with that, we'll, we'll read much of the text as we go, but I want to set the stage a little bit by reading verses 19 through 28 of chapter 1. So if you will, and if you're able, please stand with me as we read Scripture. We'll read 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. This is the Lord's Word. It is holy and inerrant and infallible. It's inspired. It is written by the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God. It says, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And then the man, Elkanah, went up with all of his household to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. And she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. 
And so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. And then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. And so I've also dedicated him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and may he write it upon our hearts. You may be seated. Now, would you join with me and let's go before the Lord's throne of grace in a word of prayer. Father, we bow before you and we exalt you. To you belongs all praise and honor and glory. Lord, you are in the heavens and you do as you please. Your ultimate purpose is to bring glory and honor to your name. For you and you alone are worthy of all glory and honor. Lord, we praise you for your sovereign and providential hand through which you order our lives and bring about everything that comes to pass so that it all works together as your word promises for our good and ultimately for your glory. We praise you, Lord, for that providence. Lord, we know at time that providence can be hard. We know at time that at times that the circumstances in which we find ourselves and our lives are, are challenging and not what we would design. Lord, we rest in your sovereign wisdom. We find hope in knowing that nothing in life catches you by surprise and, and knowing that your mercies are new every morning and your faithfulness is great. Lord, as we look to your word, how encouraged we are to see this picture of a faithful and godly mother. What a reminder, Lord, it is of the blessing of godly women who carry out their duties in submission to you and your word. Lord, I just want to take a moment again to thank you and, and praise you for the work that you've done in the lives of the dear ladies that are here among us at Grace Covenant, those who have given their lives to to serve and to teach and to preach Christ and, Lord, to do not that which the world would entice them to do, but to do that which your word commands them to do. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one here, that their efforts would not be in vain, that their labors and their striving and their toil would be done in the grace that you supply and that they would see fruit of salvation and that they would see fruit of lives lived to your glory. And how blessed we are by the godly among us. As we turn to your word, Lord, I ask that you would use the truths before us to conform us to the image of Christ. I pray that we would see portraits of godly lives and that you would use those pictures to cause us to strive all the more to fulfill your calling in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would see that the sum of our lives are but the, the small parts built together that then make this portrait of life that ought to be glorifying to you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move powerfully in and among us as your people today. Lord, the strength of, of men is utterly powerless in this work and in, the, in this effort to 
sit under the authority of your word and to be illuminated by the scriptures and to have our consciences pricked and our hearts led to repentance. We cannot accomplish that, Lord, but by your spirit, you can do great, wonderful, and glorious things in and through us. So we ask, Lord, that you would sanctify us by the truth. Ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are humble and ready and zealous and eager to receive and apply your word. Lord, help us to see Christ in all things, to remember and to recall our glorious Savior. Lord, help us to know that the things that we're called to do in this text are, are not for the sake of legalistic obedience, but are to build up a greater devotion to the one who gave his life for us at the cross. Lord, would you be glorified to write your word upon our hearts today? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the story uh, of Samuel is really quite fascinating. If you have time, I would encourage you to just to go read chunks and portions of First and Second Samuel and, and just get a picture uh, of this man's life. He's one of the greatest old men, the greatest men in the Old Testament. He was used providentially by the Lord to accomplish great things in and among the Lord's people, Israel. He, he was a key figure in bringing about the, the kingship in Israel and then in weaving David's life among those people, Samuel was one of those key players. And we know that King David is a foreshadowing of Christ. And in many ways, Samuel is like a foreshadowing of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. He, he came to make ready the way among the people to return the people to the Lord so that this king could come and point them to Christ. In First and Second Samuel, there are many, many Christological images, and unfortunately we don't have the time to unpack really many, any of them today. But again, I'd encourage you to spend some time and, and read through this narrative and look at the history of God's people and the people that he raised up to, to lead his people in those days. But today, I want to consider the picture of Samuel's life, and really that comes all the way back to considering the picture of his mother, a godly mother who was used to bring about and to raise and to send off her son into the service of God. Hannah is a woman who loved her son and loved her Lord greatly. So to drive us into to what we want to see here, this is kind of the, the primary truth, the primary thesis we should see, and that is that to be instruments of God in bringing about his kingdom, we must seek to live holy lives in faithful submission and devoted worship to him. To be the Lord's instruments, we must seek to live holy lives in faithful submission and devoted worship. I said last week we were kind of talking about the idea of worship, and worship will run through the center of the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel. And so it's this idea of devoted worship and holy living and faithful submission and obedience. This defines Hannah. It defined Samuel as well. They were set apart unto God to live in such a way as to bring him honor and glory. And so really, it's kind of the outline. We want to see Hannah's holy life, her faithful submission, her devoted worship. And then again, at the end, as we have time, we'll look at Samuel as the Lord's instrument. So we begin at verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1 and see the holy life of this lady, the holy life uh, of Hannah. And there are three traits that I want to consider under this heading. We, we see her faithfulness to, her devotion to her husband. We see her devotion to the Lord in worship. And we see her zeal and her earnestness in prayer. So if you strive to be a, a godly mother 
These are traits that you must seek to apply in your life. And really, as saints of God, we, we can find ways to apply these things in all of our lives. It's not just for the mothers. And so verses 1 and 2 begin by introducing us to this woman's husband. It's a man. It says, there's a certain man from this region, this hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, and he had two wives. And that's significant. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina, and Penina had children, and Hannah had no children. So this man was from the region of Ephraim. He was, First Chronicles 6 tells us, of the tribe of Levi. So he had a high standing in, in the people of Israel, and he had two wives. There was Hannah, who had no children, and then there was this lady, Penina, who had many children, several children, at least four, I think the text would indicate. And, and if we look at verse 6, the interesting thing we see why this is so important is because this lady, Penina, would use the childlessness of Hannah against her to provoke her. It says her rival, Hannah's rival, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So this, this dualistic marriage, that was sinful, what was used by the Lord to press Hannah into bitter sorrow. And we'll come to that in a moment, but let's begin by thinking about her devotion to her husband. A, a holy life for a wife means that you show loving devotion to your husband. Verse 3 and following says, Now this man, he would go up from his city every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were the priests of the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, even though the Lord had closed her womb. And so while she shared her husband with another man, which was a normalized practice of the day, though it was sinful, we see that Hannah and Elkanah had this devoted marriage to one another. She was devoted to loving and serving her husband. That's evidenced in how he loved and gave her the double portion when they went to sacrifice. And I want to make clear that this text is in no way a call for women to stay in adulterous or abusive relationships. So let's make that very clear. But what Hannah shows us is a picture of devotion, a picture of faithfulness, a picture of loving submission, even to a difficult person, even in difficult circumstances. Relationships are not always easy, but there's the call to faithfulness. There's the call to sacrificial love and, and devotion. There's the call to selflessness. Understand, this does not mean, dear friends, that you should ever overlook sin in anyone, and much less in your marriage. We're, we should always confront sin lovingly and patiently and gently with the truth. But even while doing that, we see that Hannah was devoted to this man that her life had been joined to. So as we think about devotion, for women, this can often mean, for a wife, this can often mean submitting to your husband even when he is difficult to submit to. And dear friends, if we're all honest, we can all know that as husbands at time, we can be difficult to live with, difficult to submit to. And wives, your calling is no less the same. Devote yourself to your husband and submit to him in the Lord. Husbands, you've got a calling in this too, right? Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how this thing called marriage works together. It's the wife submitting and giving herself, the husband sacrificing and giving himself and then the marriage works together to the glory of God. Maybe you're not married. So for every saint, Hannah should be an example of faithful perseverance in difficult relationships. When things get tough in a relationship with another person, your duty as a follower of Christ is to dig yourself in and outdo one another in showing 
love. So let Hannah be an example to us all. So she was devoted in her relationship, but we also see in her holy life that she was devoted and faithful in worship. But look at verses 7 and 8, and we'll pull out this idea of her faithfulness in worship. It says that this happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, that Penina would provoke her, and so she wept and would not eat. And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than, to, than ten sons? Do you see in that, that this going to worship the Lord year after year was the primary time and way in which Penina would, would irritate and harass and provoke Hannah. It was when they went to worship that she would throw in her face that she had these children and Hannah had a closed womb. It is in the face of all this difficulty and tribulation. Again, this is, had to be years because she had sons and daughters, so that's at least four children and, and likely probably more. So this had went on for years and years and years. But what was Hannah's response? She was faithfully devoted to going to the house of God to worship and to sacrifice and to obey and to submit to her husband as he went to pay his vow to the Lord. Even in the face of sorrow, she devoted herself to worship. Dear saying, is that true of us? As parents, we ought to always be striving to set the example in our homes. As mothers and fathers, we, we set the pace for our home. And so we have to ask the question, when, when life gets busy, when things get difficult, what do our children see as our response? Is it that we're closed off and we grow upset and angry and bitter, or do we devote ourselves to the great God of the universe who loves us and cares for us and keeps us. You know, I, th I think that the life of the church, there can even be things among the church that can, can lead you to, to sorrow and to sadness as you see relationships and families, and there can be these difficulties. But dear friend, all of that must drive you to worship. It ought to press that devotion to the Lord because the Lord is the only one who can fill in that gap. He's the only one that can fill that hole in your life. You may grow bitter and angry and all you will do is push away the one thing that can, can build you up and that is devotion to the Lord. I have to wonder, as a church, are we the type of encouragers that a sorrowful person would want to come and be around? Do, do we make it our aim? Do we make it our practice to encourage and, and to pray for and to build up? Or are we just cold and indifferent and wrapped up in our own lives? We ought to be the type that draw people into devotion to the Lord because they come and they're encouraged. And what is lacking and empty is filled up because we showcase and show the love of Christ. So in this holy life, she was devoted to her husband. She was faithful in worship. And dear friends, let's see the zeal of this dear woman in prayer. Look at verses 9 through 18. I want to read all of these together to kind of paint a picture here, verse 9, 1 Samuel 1. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorposts of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come upon his head. 
And it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And so Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Hannah replied, no, my Lord. I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find savor favor in your sight. And the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So this is quite the interaction to consider, quite the prayer being prayed, and then the interaction between Hannah and Eli, the priest. We, we see firstly that it was out of this bitter and distressed and sorrowful soul that Hannah was pouring out her heart before the Lord. Verse 10, she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. In Psalm 56, verse 8, King David there writing, he said to the Lord, You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to those who are walking the path of sorrow and bitterness. We see that Hannah's soul, dear friends, hear this, her soul was bitter. She was not, though, bitter toward the Lord. She was bitter and filled with sorrow. She was tasting the bitterness of a fallen creation. But where did she turn? She turned to the Lord God Almighty, begging and pleading and throwing herself upon His grace. Her heart was poured out to the Lord while her soul was full of the bitterness of this life. As she prayed, she also wrestled with the Lord. This is a model in prayer for us. She was wrestling with the Lord. She was bargaining with God. This is not some kind of cosmic game where she said, I'll do this, and then, Lord, you must do this. But rather, she poured her heart out and said, Lord, I will basically do anything. Whatever you ask, whatever you need, whatever you call me to do, I will do it if you just answer this one prayer. Dear friends, do we pray with that same submissive spirit? You know, it's easy to, to feign submission if you're not pouring out a soul full of requests to the Lord. If you don't have much to ask, it's easy to submit to what the Lord requires of you. But do we pray with this same zeal, but also bring with it this same submission that, Lord, thy will be done. You, Lord, are sovereign. You accomplish what you desire, what you will. She's devoted to the plans and purposes of God in all things. Then let's think about this discourse between Hannah and Eli. Again, it's just, it's so interesting that she's sitting there praying with, with tears flowing, her mouth is moving, and not a word comes out. And, and Eli the priest thinks that she must be filled with wine and drunk. And he tells her, stop your drinking, stop your drunkenness, and, and go and be on your way. And then she responds to what was really a, a serious accusation. She responds with utmost humility. She says, O Lord, O, o priest, just pouring out my heart to God. I'm not drunk. I'm in my right mind. I'm just filled with the sorrow of life and pouring out my soul to the Almighty. Do you realize, friends, that sometimes the greatest and strongest prayers that you pray come from so deep in your soul that the words never make it to your mouth? You don't know that if you don't spend time in prayer with the Lord. If you don't spend time communing with 
God, you don't understand that depth of prayer. If we just stay at this shallow fleshly level that we are all so prone to, you don't understand how you can be so deep in communion with the Lord that it doesn't even get to your lips. Now, we might just say we're praying in our minds, but that's different. We're talking about someone who is filled with sorrow, who is weeping, who is crying, and she can't even get words out of her lips. But we remember that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's Romans 8, 26. It's not mysticism. That is walking in the Holy Spirit. That is walking with your God in, in, in tune in such a way that the Spirit does intercede with groanings that are far greater than anything that you could produce with your mouth. And as a model for us in prayer, she's zealous, she is submissive, she's ever going before the throne of grace, even through bitter and sorrowful tears. Dear friends, may that be our response. When the Lord brings sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow in your life, may you exemplify what we see in this text here, that, that through the tears... Through the pain, through the grief, through the brokenness, that you are ever and always going before the throne of God, trusting Him and submitting to His ways. So next I want to look at verses 19 through 28 and think about her faithful submission. It's her, her faithful submission ultimately to the Lord. We, we read these verses at the outset and what we saw is in verses 19 and 20 we saw the conception and the birth of Samuel and she gives him the name Samuel saying that I have asked of him from the Lord so there's some tie-in with his name it means heard of God or, or name of God or some variation of that and she says I'm calling him Samuel because the Lord has answered my prayers the Lord has heard me pouring out my heart this child is dedicated to the Lord. And so it happened not long after he was born that her husband was traveling back to Shiloh to the temple to offer sacrifices and worship the Lord. And Hannah says, I, I'm not going. I'm not going until the child is weaned, weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. She, she's not playing games here. She's not trying to manipulate her to stall, we, we understand that she fully intended to bring this child and leave him at the temple to serve and worship the Lord all of his days. But she says, I'm not going until he's ready to stay. I'm not going until he's physically able to fulfill this vow and promise that I've made to the Lord that I will leave this child that I've prayed for in the Lord's presence all of his days. Fascinating, I think, to consider that in this moment of desperation, this moment of great need, Hannah makes this far-reaching promise to the Lord. Lord, if you give me this, this child, I'll keep him with me for a short period, and then he's yours. He's dedicated back to you to serve in your temple all the days of his life. It's fascinating because not only did she promise that, but then she did it. She fulfilled her vow and her promise to the Lord. Can't help but wonder, have you ever in desperation or sorrow or anger or any other strong emotion made a promise to the Lord? Perhaps you're under the weight and conviction of sin. You tell the Lord, Lord, if you will just forgive me, if you'll just get me out of this mess, I will never dabble in this sin again. Friend, how are you doing in that commitment? Surely we have all made promises and vows to dedicate ourselves and our lives to the Lord. How are you doing? Are you keeping your word to the Lord? Or are you proving yourself to be a liar because you've run back into sin or you've lost that devotion? It's a sobering question, a sobering consideration. When the trials of life hit, they ought to, they ought to drive us to the Lord and greater submission in greater surrender, and greater reliance, and that produces holy living. If you, if you walk through the deep waters of trial, 
you can understand how oftentimes the, the most holy your life can be is when you're under the crushing weight of trial because you have nowhere else to turn but the Lord. So he asks, does trial make you bitter or does it make you better? Does it make you more worldly or does it make you more holy? It ought to, by the Lord's design, bring you to the end of yourself. It ought to bring you to the end of yourself so that you walk in greater submission to the Lord. The question is, do you remain in that place? When the burden, when the weight of the trial is lifted, if it is lifted, we shouldn't say when and presume upon the Lord, if it, the weight of that trial is lifted, do you stay in that place of submission and surrender or do you return right back to life exactly how it was? Let the work of God have His work in you. Fall on your knees and stay there. Put away your sin and remain pure and holy before the Lord. Dropping down to verse 28. And it says, I've dedicated this child to the Lord as long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped God there. This is the ultimate submission. It's the ultimate sacrifice. It's the ultimate keeping of a promise. Hannah vowed to the Lord that this child would be his for all of his days, and that's exactly what happened. And this ought to be our heart with all those that the Lord brings across our paths or all those that the Lord entrusts to our care and keeping, that we invest the gospel into them. We teach and proclaim the truth of God's word to them. We live as examples for Christ before them, and then they're turned over to the Lord. Then we entrust the Lord by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit to do exactly what he chooses to do. We do all we can. We invest as much truth and as much gospel and show as much of Christ as we can, but then the hands are off and it's all up to the Lord. Dear friend, follow this example. Faithfully carry out your duties and then allow the Lord to accomplish what he intends. So we've seen Hannah's holy life and her faithful submission. Think briefly now with me thirdly about her devoted worship the devoted worship this is where we come into chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 I'll read a, a few verses here just to kind of set the the story of this song of thanksgiving verses 1 and 2 and then we'll drop down to 9 and 10 kind of look at the bookends it says Hannah prayed and she said my heart exults in the Lord my horn is exalted in the Lord, and my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Drop down to 9 and 10. She continued, He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Matthew Henry would say that the response here of Hannah is that she breaks out not only in the spirit of prayer, but by the spirit of prophecy. She breaks out in the spirit of proclaiming the truth of who God is and what he has accomplished. So let's think about that. What is her response to this answered prayer of the Lord? It is to exalt his name and to exult in his work and his person. The response is thanksgiving and praise for God. She recognizes that this is not all by chance that this happened. This is the Lord's sovereign hand at work. And if the Lord brought it to pass, the Lord is worthy of praise. He is worthy of thanksgiving. He is worthy of her devotion and her worship. Her heart overflows with joy and her mouth follows not far behind and boldly proclaims the greatness of God. Dear friends, do you consider the Lord's many answered prayers in your life? 
Do you give the Lord thanks for his provision, for his faithfulness, for his mercies that are new every morning? Matthew Henry said, what we win by prayer we may wear with comfort, but we must also wear it with praise. What we win by prayer we may wear with comfort, but we must wear it with praise. We rejoice in the Lord. Parents, again, I'd ask the question, do you model this for your children? Do we teach our children to be thanks? Thankful people to give thanks to the Lord, to have grateful hearts for what He accomplishes and provides in our lives? Or do you teach your child to pray and to ask the Lord for things, but then never to come back and thank Him for what He provides? Dear friends, we must be examples. Hannah is exalting the Lord for His great and his mighty strength. She says, there's no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there's none beside you, nor is there any rock, rock <clears throat> like our God. The bows of the mighty are shattered. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down the Sheol. He raises up. He makes poor and rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Her heart is to exalt the Lord. And this heart of exaltation, dear friends, is the outworking of a heart that is humble. You exult in the Lord like this when you have a humble and pure and thankful heart. <clears throat> Dropping down to, to verse 10, we see that Hannah exalts the greatness of God who will judge and shatter his enemies. She looks forward, I believe, to the coming of King David, which then points even further to the coming of Christ. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. He will give strength to his king. He'll give strength to King David. But even beyond that, the King of kings, Jesus Christ, is the one in whom all power dwells. She exalts the Lord for that. She praises the Lord that he will exalt the horn of his anointed. For ultimately, this points to Jesus Christ, the, the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see that her true and devoted worship focuses on the work in the reign of Christ. Focuses on the work and the reign of Christ. Now we could continue on in this prayer, but I want to move toward a, a five or six chapter conclusion and looking at the outworking of what happened in Samuel's life. So, so we focused on Hannah, but then let's turn our attention to Samuel and see how her faithfulness led him to being an instrument mightily used by the Lord. So, so, so just a, a, a sweeping tour through chapters 2 through 7. We, we see firstly in chapter 2 that Eli's sons, the, Eli was the priest and his sons were serving in the temple and they were utterly wicked and sinful men. They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the Lord says, I will strike them down. I will strike them down and, and they will be put to death. And the Lord says, and then I will raise up a faithful priest. And then the Lord calls Samuel in chapter 3. He, he strikes down Eli's sons. And at the end of chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, we see that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And the Lord let none of his words fail and all of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. A mother's love and the providence of God. It's the Lord that raises up Samuel. Then in chapters 4, 5, and, and, and into chapter 6, a, a dramatic scene unfolds. We see the Philistines gather to attack and make war against Israel and, and 
the Philistines win the battle and they take the ark of God for themselves. They take it back into their land. They take it to the city of Ashdod and they place it in, in the house of one of their gods, Dagon, the fish god. You can imagine the Lord's response. The Lord was enraged. In chapter 5, verse 6, it says that the Lord ravaged them and smote them with tuners both in Ashdod and in its territories. So the Philistines, the pagans they were, said, okay, let's move the, the ark somewhere else. And so, and so they move it to the city of Gath, another of their leading cities, and the Lord again rages against them. So then they move it to the city of Ekron, and the same anger and the same wrath of the Lord burns there. So the Philistines say, what do we do? Let's send the ark back to Israel, back to its rightful place, so maybe the Lord's hand will not be so strongly against us. And so in chapter 6, the ark comes back into Israel, and in verse 19 it says that, the Lord struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down all of the people, 50,070 men. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck down the people with a great slaughter. So then we're building up. So the ark has gone into the, to the lands of the Philistines and now it's come back. And then the Lord commissions Samuel to call the people to repentance, to restore right and true worship in the land. Chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines." And the sons of Israel removed all the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord alone. They served the Lord alone. And when they did that, dear friends, after they had been routed in battle by the Philistines, verses 10 and 11 say that Samuel offered up a burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below beth Kar. Samuel was the instrument of God who brought about the restoration of true worship in the land of Israel. Draw that back one generation. The restoration of true worship finds its roots in a godly, faithful mother who was devoted to the Lord and who dedicated her son to the Lord's service. 1 Samuel 7 verse 12 says that after this battle, Samuel took a stone and he set it between Mizpah and Shin and he named it Ebenezer saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And they worshipped. Chapter ends at verse 15 and following it says, Now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. What was Samuel but the product of the Lord's grace and providence? The product of a godly mother. So to the, the women among us, the mothers among us, do you see the important charge that you have from the Lord? Don't overlook the call to obediently proclaim the gospel and dedicate your children to the Lord. And that command is to all of us. Don't overlook simple obedience. Don't overlook the call to fulfill your vow to the Lord. And you say, I have not made a vow to the Lord. If you are in Christ, you have. If you're in Christ, you have vowed all of your life to Him. If you're in Christ, every time you sin, it's like you're committing adultery against your Savior. 
because you've entered into covenant with him. He has called you into a covenant with himself to be instruments of God in bringing about his kingdom. We must be devoted to holy living and faithful submission and pure, right, biblical worship. That is our call. That is our duty. And that is our work. May the Lord strengthen us to carry out these plans and purposes. May the Lord convict us to live and to walk in submission to Him all of our days. May the Lord work into us hearts of devotion, that desire to worship Him even in the darkest of trials. For He is worthy. He is worthy of all that we can give. So may we do that. May we walk in the power of the Spirit for the glory of Christ the King. He's worthy to be praised. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask now that you would write your word upon our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would take the truth that has been before us today and help us to humbly seek to apply it in our lives each and every day. Lord, we fall so short of your glory. We fall so short of the things to which we are called. Lord, may we seek to live in a way that brings you honor and glory. May we be filled with hearts that are devoted to you in worship. May we see you, Lord, as the fount of every blessing, worthy of all honor and glory and praise. Write your word upon our hearts. Tune our hearts to sing your praise. Offer your glory for the glory of the King forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, and it seems only fitting to respond by singing of the blessing that we know in Christ. Let's join together and sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.